Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk to somebody from the State Department that oversees travel and tourism in Ohio about winter getaways. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend takes a look at Governor Mike DeWine's two-year budget proposal, the vaccine rollout, and the case involving a former Columbus police officer charged with murder. In the second half hour, I'll talk with somebody from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation about a very interesting interactive map where you can zoom right in down to neighborhoods to get statistics covering more than two dozen health-related issues, including obesity, smoking, diabetes, even teeth loss. And speaking of teeth, in about 45 minutes, I'll talk with a local dentist and a cardiologist about how poor oral health can lead to heart problems. First up on Columbus Perspective, joining me on the phone is Lydia Mihalik, who is the director of the Ohio Development Services Agency. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. Tell us uh, what your agency is, what you do. Sure. Well, Development Services Agency is involved uh, in really helping to improve uh, communities and businesses, uh, you know, all throughout the state of Ohio. But we also are home to Tourism Ohio. Okay, and that is uh, conveniently enough what we're going to talk about. Uh, You have a Winter in Ohio campaign underway. We absolutely do. You know, it's a new year, uh, and the travel landscape, uh, particularly for us in Ohio, is looking really good. We know that uh, from a recent survey that 81% of Americans are becoming more willing uh, to plan that next trip within the next six months, especially uh, by car. Uh, and many are planning road trips uh, within 200 miles to be able to see uh, friends and family. And quite frankly, as the COVID cases go down and more people get the COVID vaccine, uh, more people are thinking about traveling uh, later this year. And when they do, we want them uh, to first think about Ohio. And it seems like as well, uh, as long as it's not continually snowing and the roads are, are manageable, that with a lot of snow on the ground, some of Ohio's attractions are even better this time of year. Oh, you're absolutely right. You know, I think people are getting a little bit of cabin fever uh, and they want to get out. And there are so many fun things that you can do uh, in Ohio during the winter. And the best part is that uh, you can do them safely. Uh, you can go skiing at Mad River or snow trails. If you're in for, you know, a big thrill ride, you can do the toboggan ride at the Cleveland Metro Parks, uh, or you can go for a beautiful winter hike at one of our wonderful state parks. Uh, and uh, if you don't want to go outside, but you still want to explore, uh, there are many uh, things uh, that you can do, at, and you can find them all uh, at ohio.org. You know, we just reported that Lake Erie is 75% ice covered now. A month ago, it had almost no ice. And a year ago, uh, this time, it had almost no ice. So good year for ice fishing, it looks like, too, or whatever else you want to do out on a frozen lake. That's right. It happened really quick, didn't it? It did. It really did. (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned about optimism for the coming travel and tourism season. How is the state uh, preparing for that? It still must be pretty complicated. You know, I think, um, you know, as as we have all along, you know, the governor is really leading uh, in terms of just reminding Ohioans uh, to be safe uh, when you go out, wear a mask, socially distance. Uh, If you're sick, you know, by all means, stay home. (laughs) You don't need to spread whatever it is that you have with everyone else. Uh, But the good news is that, you know, there are there are some really amazing places 
that you can you can go and explore. All of them uh, can find uh, all of them can be found uh, at Ohio.org. Uh, We're uh, airing this uh, the morning of Valentine's Day. Is it too late for people to get involved in some sort of activities around that? Well, I got to tell you that uh, I think a lot of people were uh, very excited uh, to get out this weekend. Uh, and while uh, it may be difficult to find, you know, a romantic getaway uh, here uh, for this weekend, uh, what I would encourage you to do is uh, to really take a look at the list that uh, our team has compiled, again, at Ohio.org. Um, examples of that are like the Inn at Cedar Falls uh, in Logan. You can go enjoy a weekend of seclusion in the woods in southeast Ohio. The inn itself offers some cabins and cottages or bed and breakfast rooms, and many of them uh, have access to a fireplace, uh, so it can keep you warm. The Gervaisi Vineyard uh, in Canton is actually known for its state-of-the-art villas with fireplaces. It has heated floors and Tuscan-inspired decor, and the vineyard actually uh, annually earns national awards, and this year it earned winner of the Knot Best of Wedding. Uh, for 2021. Uh, so lots, lots of things to see and do. You might not be able to get out uh, and do them, uh, you know, this weekend. It might be a little too late, but definitely something to think about uh, in the following uh, weekends to come. I'm a big fan of uh, state park cabins, and, and one of my favorite getaways is Lake Hope down in Venton County toward the Ohio River in southeast Ohio. And I remember being there one time in the wintertime when it was cold with a lot of snow on the ground. And it's just a very small lake at the park there, but it was so quiet. There was nobody there, uh, birds flying over the frozen lake. You could hear them from a long ways away. And, you know, when you live in Columbus and you work in Columbus and you get a chance to get out and see that and listen to it, it's spectacular. Yeah, Lake Hope is gorgeous, uh, and it's really just one of, of the, the beautiful places uh, that we have uh, in terms of our state parks. And, you know, there's, there's um, Burr Oak State Park, um, which has lots of beautiful hiking trails. People are big into hiking uh, right now, uh, and, of course, uh, given the pandemic, it's an opportunity to go out and do that safely. Um, you know, there's Ash Cave and Cantwell Cliffs. You know, you're talking about, like, a beautiful scenery. You know, these are in the Hocking Hills region. Uh, they offer some of the most picturesque views. Um, something that's very popular uh, is at Ash Cave, where you can actually witness these huge, monstrous icicles uh, and an ice tower that have formed uh, from, from the frozen waterfall uh, that's there. Um, throughout uh, the winter months, uh, if you don't want to go outside, our friends at ODNR have some virtual hikes of state park trails, uh, including some well-known favorites and some less traveled options. And they're all presented on uh, ODNR's, uh, the Ohio Department of Natural Resources Facebook page and also the ODNR website. Talking with Lydia Mihalik, she's director of the Ohio Development Services Agency. As we move through what is hopefully the last stages of this pandemic over the next few months uh, and businesses begin to hopefully pull out of what's been a very difficult time, what can folks do to help? Well, since the beginning of the pandemic, we've really been encouraging Ohioans to support their local retailers and restaurants. These small businesses are, are the heart of our communities, and they've been supporting us for decades. Uh, and quite frankly, we hope that in the next uh, few months that people will continue to support them. 
Um, we also, again, need people to continue to wear a mask when they go out, practice social distancing. Uh, again, if you don't feel well, stay home. But quite frankly, if we continue to practice these health guidelines, uh, we're going to continue to see uh, our numbers go down. And that, along uh, with the rollout of the vaccine, is really going to help uh, us all get back to normal faster. Uh, so continue to support local um, gift cards online are a great way uh, to support local businesses uh, in a safe in a safe manner. Um, and just just keep uh, spreading the word uh, that shopping local uh, is the best thing. February is Black History Month. I know that there's been an emphasis uh, even with uh, some of the restaurant delivery companies to try to help people focus on black owned businesses. Absolutely. You know, um, you know, it, it is Black History Month. Um, and as we learn about a country's history, this is also a great opportunity to support black-owned businesses. Um, we have a new blog uh, on Ohio.org, and it's, it's, it's the 115 black-owned Ohio businesses from five regions of the state, and that 115 continues to grow daily. Um, lots of things to experience, uh, like barbecue from the Pit Barbecue Grills, multiple Columbus locations. Um, of course, Bake Me Happy, Donna's Delicious Dozen, and Sugar Pies. You know, if you've got a sweet tooth uh, this weekend uh, or a little bit later on uh, this winter, um, there's some really bright and bold attire that you can check out uh, at the Chucky Armadillo Boutique uh, in the Short North here in Columbus. Uh, but when you take a look at the landscape uh, across the state, there are some wonderful places around Ohio uh, to visit in order to honor Black History Month. Uh, the National Afro-American Museum and Cultural Center at Wilberforce University, which is the nation's first private black college. And you can see a lot of interesting art uh, and artifacts. Um, the museum itself actually holds Alex uh, Haley's final draft of Ruth. Uh, and you can also stop uh, uh, into Dayton uh, to visit the new Funk Music Hall of Fame and Exhibition Center. Uh, or you can visit the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center in Cincinnati. Uh, all of these things and so much more uh, are all listed on Ohio.org, and we would encourage you uh, to go there and check check that out. That's outstanding. Lydia Mahalik again with the Ohio Development Services Agency. Anything else you'd like to add? Oh, no, this has been great. Uh, there's so many things to see and do in the state, and we just would like uh, to take the opportunity for, for folks to, to check it out at Ohio.org. It's a great, uh, useful resource to plan your next trip as we're coming out of the pandemic and looking uh, looking for travel inspiration. Director Mahalik, thanks so much for the information. Oh, you're welcome. Stay safe. Be good. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. 
A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Here's Tracy. You know Amy Acton as Ohio's former state health director. She became the face of the state's early pandemic response here in Ohio. Now she's considering a run as a Democrat for the U.S. Senate. That seat is being vacated by Republican Senator Rob Portman. And while it is still very early in the game to officially declare her run, a local expert says it's not that far-fetched. Hasn't gone through the political path of being elected to uh, an office and then moving up to another office. But she has been, in a very good sense of the word, a celebrity. The questions that Amy Atkin has to ask right now is how much does she really want to do it and put in the time and effort? Can she, in fact, generate support? And Professor Asher says Acton doesn't have to formally declare a run now. It's, again, still very early. And no candidates from either party have formally declared that they are going to run for Portman's seat. A former Columbus mayor says he is not going to be running for U.S. Senate. Michael Coleman said he was considering a run to replace Senator Portman when his term ends. But Coleman tweeted that after careful thought and consideration with his family, he's decided against it. Coleman says he appreciates the outpouring of support. Governor Mike DeWine wants more money for education, more money for broadband access across the state, and more money to spend on an advertising campaign to help promote Ohio. It's all a part of his 2022-2023 budget that he unveiled. As reporter Kevin Landers explains, the budget contains no new taxes. The COVID-19 pandemic has really taken a toll on so many Ohioans and on so many Ohio businesses. We are determined to do all that we can to protect Ohioans' health and to put Ohio's economy on the path to greater prosperity. In order for Ohio to recover from the pandemic, Governor Mike DeWine says it must start with rebuilding small businesses. His budget is calling for nearly a half billion dollars to rescue them. It would include $20 million specifically for businesses that just started in 2020. Many of these businesses were excluded from receiving financial assistance in the past. The governor also wants to spend $50 million on a nationwide ad campaign to tell the story of Ohio. He says the campaign's goal is to bring people back to the state by highlighting affordable housing, the chance to grow a business, a safe place to raise a family, and to show we are a state that welcomes all. It's a progressive state. Uh, it's a state that has its fiscal house in order, so you don't have to worry, you know, about... Uh, Taxes, taxes being raised. DeWine's one-time, $1 billion spending spree must still pass the legislature. His budget also would help communities deal with another health problem, mental health and drug abuse. We know uh, we saw an uptick in, in overdoses uh, early on during the pandemic. We know that this is increased drug use. So we're, we're putting money there to directly both of those directly help citizens of the state of Ohio. Kevin Landers, 10TV News. Governor DeWine's nearly $1 billion budget proposal is signaling to Ohio communities and businesses that recovery appears to be a priority. That's according to the Ohio Chamber of Commerce. The governor's Investing in Ohio initiative earmarks $460 million for small businesses. It's a new special provision for those that started before the pandemic not eligible for federal funds. There's also $200 million in grants for bars and restaurants. A final plan approved by the House, Senate, and the governor must be signed into law by July 1st. As tax season approaches, thousands of Ohioans are realizing they may have been 
the victim of pandemic ID theft. Ohio Department of Job and Family Services Director Kimberly Henderson had an update. The state launched a website for Ohioans to notify ODJFS if they believed that their identity was stolen and used to file a fraudulent unemployment claim. Since that site launch, 70,000 people have filed claims saying they believe their identity might have been stolen when applying for jobless benefits. The union representing state employees has blamed the state for the problem because they hired private outside vendors. Well, Director Henderson addressed that in her news conference. First, my message to those who are finding out through receipt of these 1099s that they are the victim of, or may be the victim of identity theft is I'm, I'm deeply sorry that you're experiencing this. Uh, it is not the result of a leak or a breach on our part. It again, as I've shared, is a result of criminal activity. Director Henderson went on to say that she deeply disagrees with the assertion that using private vendors caused or made the problem. The state has now launched a new hotline for people to call if they have concerns about this. The number is on your screen, 1-833-658-0394. It's staffed Monday through Friday. You can also use the online portal on the website, unemployment.ohio.gov, that's G-O-V. Now, if you think that you may have filed a false, somebody had filed a 1099-G that's false, Using your identity, you're being encouraged to file your taxes normally. The erroneous 1099-G does not need to be filed. Governor DeWine and First Lady Fran received their first dose of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. And it comes as the state continues its Phase 1B program. Now, as we talk about COVID-19 vaccines, an Ohio Department of Health spokesperson tells us that our state receives about 100,000 doses every week. We've heard from some of you who are eligible for the vaccine right now with stories that you are unable to find a vaccine provider. 10TV's Bryant Somerville explains what's happening. Marilyn Miller is 66. Her 67th is next Friday. These days, she does what she can to stay active. I mean, my excitement today was to go out and shovel snow. And of course, there was nobody around. That was my highlight of the day. She also quilts with a group of women at a local church at a distance that is socially safe. Other than that, she stays inside. But even going to the grocery store and things like that, I don't want to be around anybody that might have it. COVID-19, a real concern, both for her age and because she's a diabetic. But getting the vaccine... I just can't get in. Everything says it's they're not scheduling or that they're full. ...has been difficult. It's just a real concern, and it's not only me. I think there's a lot of seniors out there getting very frustrated because we were told we were high, the highest priority, and now they keep throwing other groups in. Phase 1B is really focused on getting these vaccinations to senior citizens. It's also available for those with any underlying medical conditions. Vaccines have already been rolled out for those in the healthcare profession, and Ohio has started vaccinating about 91,000 teachers statewide. Long story short, all of these vaccinations come from the same pot. I know teachers are going to be at it which I was a teacher for 35 and a half years. I understand why they want them. But if they take as many t- vaccinations as what we have teachers, 
there's not going to be anything left for seniors. According to the Ohio Department of Health, Ohio gets roughly 168,000 doses of vaccine each week. Those are then distributed to 2,900 providers statewide, like hospitals, grocery stores, and health departments. Right now, though, not all providers are getting doses. The number of providers that receive doses and the number of doses they get each week fluctuates week to week. On top of that, ODH is encouraging providers not to set aside amounts for different groups. Neighbor, she's 77, had an appointment. They canceled it. They said they'd call her back, and they've never called her back. ODH says it does not control vaccine appointments, saying that comes from the individual provider. Bryant Somerville, 10 TV News. The Ohio Department of Health says it will move to a combination of small and mass vaccination sites in a few weeks when the state hopes to get more doses of the vaccine. A former Columbus police officer is now charged with murder in the death of Andre Hill. You'll hear from Hill's family members after they learn that news. And we'll also talk about how Adam Coy plans to defend himself. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. How do you know if you or a loved one is at risk of problem gambling? By knowing the signs, such as borrowing money, hiding unpaid debts, bragging about wins, or just plain irritability. Sound familiar? Get Set Before You Bet is Ohio's initiative to help keep gambling safe and responsible for everyone. How does it work? Just visit BeforeYouBet.org to learn more and take the responsible gambling quiz. Together, we can keep gambling safe and responsible in Ohio. This message brought to you by Ohio for Responsible Gambling. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. A former Columbus police officer is now charged with murder in the death of Andre Hill. Yesterday was my first time smiling for the first real time when I got the call that indictment charges came back. Emotional reaction after an indictment was handed down in the case of Adam Coy. Coy is facing multiple charges, including murder. 10TV's Brittany Bailey sat down with the family of Andre Hill and their attorney, Ben Crump. Carissa, this morning is for you and your children. Big Daddy is looking down from heaven and he's smiling. Proud of you. Attorney Ben Crump raised Carissa Hill's arm in triumph after the indictment of former Columbus police officer Adam Coy. And while he says her father, Andre Hill, is smiling, his daughter says she finally can too. Yesterday was my first time smiling for the first real time when I got the call that indictment charges came back. A grand jury indicted Adam Coy on four charges, murder, felonious assault, and two counts of dereliction of duty. They stem from December 22nd when Coy fired the deadly shots at Andre Hill after responding to a noise complaint. In a perfect world, um, my hopes would be that he's convicted of all charges and given the maximum penalty possible for all of them. The reality is it may not happen, but that's where the hope comes in. We were very relieved, but we're not satisfied because we know based on the history in America when an unarmed black man is killed by a white police, an indictment doesn't mean a conviction. And my dad was always in our life and my kid's life and he was very hands-on. So he has a, a family that is always going to fight for him. 
The family is determined to get justice, but Andre Hill's brother also had a message for law enforcement officers everywhere. There's plenty of families, not only ours, that suffer by these ordeals across the land. And I just wanted to show some sympathy and some love back for them to let them know, the good ones, keep on doing your jobs because the community needs needs you. And again, that was Brittany Bailey reporting. We talked with Mayor Andrew Genther after that news conference. The mayor says this is a critical first step toward justice. He should be here today. The only reason that he's not here with his friends and family is because of former Officer Coy's actions, and we believe he should be held accountable. Coy's attorney told CBS News new details we've never heard about what Coy claims happened the night Hill was killed. Here's 10TV's Angela Reigard. Adam Coy's attorneys say they were not surprised by the indictment. Basically, it's just the prosecutor's point of view that's put forth. But attorney Mark Collins says they were surprised by the charges. It's a little inconsistent. The grand jury no built a purposeful murder, but yet came back with an indictment on the felony murder. Collins argues the body camera footage we've seen doesn't tell the whole story. He spoke to him once initially, and then he gave him some commands two other times, which were ignored. But Collins wouldn't go into specifics. The defense claims this moment, where you see Andre Hill holding up his cell phone, is important to what the now former officer was thinking. My client, based on his training in 19 years, thought that the cell phone was a diversionary tactic. And so my client then was, his eyes were trained on the right hand that was hidden. In that right hand, his attorney says, Coy believed there was a silver revolver. No gun was ever found on Mr. Hill. And according to Collins, that silver object turned out to be keys, which appear to be seen in the video. The ultimate question in this case will be, based on the lens of a reasonable police officer, is that a reasonable reaction based on the totality of the situation that my client observed in that two to three minute time period? As for not rendering aid at the scene, Coy's attorneys claim he was never trained to do so. They're not trained to do any type of, of, of uh, resuscitation with someone with a chest wound. They're not trained to do any of that type of stuff. They don't have, they're not even basically trained on CPR. 12 minutes after the shooting, other officers were seen helping Andre Hill before medics arrived. We did contact Columbus police to find out whether Adam Coy received CPR training. A spokesperson tells us that he does not know about Coy being trained on that specifically. Governor DeWine is planning new initiatives to prevent more police shootings and violence. The governor says he wants to improve community police relations, reduce gun crimes and drug trafficking, and protect Ohio schools. He has set a budget to reach those goals, including a million dollars for law enforcement recruitment and $10 million to get body-worn cameras on more officers. My goal is for every police officer in the state of Ohio to have a body camera. I think it protects police, it protects the public. It's good to have that transparency. Uh, It's the right thing to do. DeWine says it hasn't been specified yet whether departments that get the money for these cameras will be required to follow body cam guidelines. Just before his one-year probationary period was up, Thomas Quinlan from the Columbus Division of Police, who was chief, went to deputy chief. But as 10TV's Lacey Crisp explains, a demotion isn't a big enough step for some faith leaders. O-U-T 
N-O-W. We need him out and now. Even before Columbus Mayor Andrew Ginther demoted Thomas Quinlan from chief to deputy chief, these faith leaders planned on sending a letter asking for the chief to be fired. We were on our way here with these signatures when he pulled the stunt of the demotion. The faith leaders argue a demotion isn't enough because Quinlan will still be in a leadership position within the department. They say that's why they're asking for Quinlan to be fired. Allowing a police chief to stay in the department in whatever capacity is not an acknowledgement of wrongdoing. Saying to Mayor Ginther and those who are in the decision-making positions, give us what we ask for because re-election always comes around. Mayor Ginther would not give an on-camera interview but sent a statement saying, I appreciate all points of view, and there are many, on the incredibly difficult challenges we face as a community. I consulted with residents, activists, faith and community leaders who I trust, and I stand by my decision. More importantly, I am focused on selecting a new chief of police that will bring about the reform and change we all agree is necessary. In addition to Quinlan's firing, the group is calling for Ginther to hire Perry Tarrant, the other finalist, for the job. He spent more than $100,000 on this national search just to promote someone from the inside. That's a waste of taxpayers' dollars. You do not need to spend any more money on any more national searches. You need to call Perry Tarrant. In Columbus, Lacey Crisp, 10TV News. In the fight against COVID-19, doctors and researchers are on the front lines. Coming up, you will hear how they are leaning on each other for support. There's a place to share the joy of your team winning it all. And a place to share a laugh about skiing and taking a fall. There's a place to share photos of pets or singing in the choir. Or the time you ate a pepper and your mouth was on fire. But we could all be better at sharing how we're feeling inside. 76% of employees have struggled with at least one issue that affected their mental health. When you share, you're not alone. Ask about your company's emotional health benefits. Visit heart.org sharing. Brought to you by the American Heart Association. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Still to come on Columbus Perspective, a discussion with somebody from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation about a really cool interactive map where you can zoom in on areas around Columbus or anywhere around the country, for that matter, to find health statistics on more than two dozen issues. And I'll also talk to a local dentist and a local cardiologist about how poor oral health and lead to heart problems. Now back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. They've truly been on the front lines in the pandemic, but they're not doing it alone. These medical professionals have one another. And along the way, they've created some unbreakable bonds. 10TV's Stephanie Stanovich spoke with three different doctors about that camaraderie. Three different people. Dr. Mark Herbert. I'm an infection specialist with Mount Carmel Medical Group. Dr. Nora Colburn. I am an infectious disease physician and the medical director of clinical epidemiology for the Ross Hart Hospital at OSU. And Dr. Joseph Gustaldo. Practicing infectious disease doctor, I'm assistant medical director of infectious diseases for Ohio Health. Coming from different places. Some people would look at us as competitors. I don't really think we're competitors. I think we all have the same mission. Uh, we may work for different bosses. But, but are all sitting all here together with common goals. Uh, figuratively, when COVID-19 first came on the scene, uh, not knowing much about it, it's kind of like we were told to go fly this plane. And um, we all were going through that experience together. Common goals of supporting each other and saving lives. 
Through this pandemic, they tell us hospital systems continue to bounce ideas, strategies, and new information off of one another. It's very common for me to uh, send a, a phone-a-friend message uh, to uh, my colleagues in other areas to ask them questions is to kind of make sure that we are all on the same page with at least my thought process on uh, scenarios related to COVID-19. So ID is a really small world. Um, I regularly text and email and have phone calls with ID docs all over the state. Taking a look at the different hospitals and strategies and protocols, how does that help you three in your careers and with this whole process figuring out together? Well, it's very useful. You know, as best as possible, I think one thing I learned uh, this past year is that when you talk to the public, it's really good to have a consistent a cohesive message. They all agree on that. And it needs to be the same, whether you're masking in the hallway, whether you're having visitors that are allowed to come in, uh, even things like uh, testing. The doctors say collaborations are not only helpful for learning more in the medical world and then educating the community, There's but it's good for those behind the science and care to, to have others in similar situations uh, to lean on. Not only just at OSU, but in the city and in the state, like I'm yeah. I'm really happy I'm part of this group. I am too. In Columbus, Stephanie Sanovich, 10 TV News. And these medical experts tell us in all of the areas of the hospital, administration, transfer centers, public health officials are working collectively. They often explore what's working, what's not, testing, PPE, and of course, patient care. Teachers are now among those eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine. School staff working in districts that plan to continue or return to in-person learning are included in that phase 1B, but that may not include everyone on which schools rely. At a time when health is so important, substitute teachers seem vital. But can they get the vaccine or will they have to wait? Here's Yolanda Harris. A viewer asked us whether the vaccine would be offered to substitute teachers and how they might go about getting approval. The answer is complicated and might depend on where you live. The Ohio Department of Health says no. When we asked last month, they said, quote, we have not to date considered substitute teachers as eligible, which is not to say their work is not valuable. We have, however, tried to focus on the folks who are essential to having in-person K through 12 learning. End quote. But we're seeing something different from some counties. In Licking County, substitutes are included in that Phase 1B category. That comes as a relief to the superintendent for Licking Valley Local Schools. He says the sub-shortage was a problem for the district, and having the vaccine available to everybody is a big help. The vaccine is a, is a game-changer if you can get all of your staff vaccinated. Um, you know, now you're, we're still going to have to do some of the, the uh, safety protocols. We're probably still going to be wearing masks because you can still transmit the virus even after you've had the, the vaccine, even if you don't get sick from it. So um, the masking probably will continue, but um, that will just give us a lot of stability um, knowing that our folks are vaccinated and, and we should be able to keep them in work. And, and that means we can stay in school. While Licking County includes substitutes in their count, Delaware County's answer is yes, depending on the district. Because each superintendent asks for vaccines they'd need individually, it's up to them to include substitutes or not. But in Franklin County, substitute teachers may have to wait a little longer. So if you aren't sure whether you qualify, it's best to contact your school district for an answer. And because the supply of vaccine is so limited, appointments in some counties may be hard to come by. As supply improves, more appointments should become available.
In today's note of promise, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services awarded Columbus $1 million for HIV-AIDS research, as well as more than $700,000 for pediatric cancer research. That money will go specifically to the Research Institute at Nationwide Children's Hospital. We thank you so much for being here with us today. Remember, if it affects you, your family, and Ohio, we're here to make sure those accountable face the state. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10TV. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is George Hober, who is with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. He's Senior Program Officer. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for talking to us. We're going to talk about a nationwide map that deals with all kinds of health issues that people can zoom into right down to beyond the county level, and it's called Places. Tell us about it. Sure, no problem. So Places is a database that's developed by the CDC, and uh, it can be accessed through their website, and it provides, like you said, local data on uh, various health measures, so health outcomes, so, such as how many people in your area have diabetes or health behaviors or even unhealthy behaviors like binge drinking and prevention measures, uh, such as the percentage of residents that uh, actually follow through and get their annual checkup with their doctor. And Places is particularly innovative because, like you said, uh, it provides local data. Uh, you could get data for whole cities, for towns, for counties, but Places allows you to narrow in on what we call the census tract level, and that allows you to make a really small geography comparisons like neighborhoods, and, and that's really unique. We haven't had uh, data at that small scale before. I guarantee just about anybody that looks at this will be fascinated because, uh, you know, it's it's some of the usual categories that one would expect, like obesity and high blood pressure. But there's also arthritis, teeth loss, people who get less than seven hours of sleep. I mean, there, there's a wide array of categories here. Yeah, I believe there, there are 27 different measures, and, and they're... Uh categorized into those three categories I, I said at the top, health outcomes, which those are really disease measures and healthy behaviors, uh, all the activities you do or don't do, and, and yeah, those typical prevention measures, whether it be insurance or, uh, like I said, annual checkups. So it's neat in that it's a pretty comprehensive tool. It's really interesting because when you just look at the nation as a whole and, and look at these colors blend in, what becomes striking is so many negative outcomes for an area that looks like it starts just south of Pittsburgh and runs through West Virginia and southeast Ohio, through Kentucky and Tennessee, down to Arkansas, Louisiana, down in that area. It's just like a dark wave of these unhealthy outcomes that show up in a lot of these maps. Yeah, there's a lot of variation across the state on different measures, but as we know from past research and past data that uh, the south part, the southern part of the country does perform worse on particular health measures, particularly obesity. It's different if you look out west where you see uh, more unhealthy behaviors like binge drinking. Um, but yeah, there's, there's great variation. It's interesting to explore. There's a lot of variation even within your state of Ohio. 
Yeah, that's the neat thing about it is that if you see a trend like that nationwide, you can zoom in to uh, just a section of a state maybe and see the same type of thing. And that's where it can really become beneficial and valuable to public health officials in a state. Right, exactly. So I, I think if we, for example, if you look at your state of Ohio and you look at something like heart disease, you'll see that, one, there's great variation across the state. So Columbus is at 5.6% um, prevalence, and that's below the national average, which is around 7 And, you know, Cincinnati will fall at about the average, and Cleveland will be higher at 9%. But like I said, what the innovation is with uh, places is that you could look at that in even more detail. So if you want to compare Cleveland to Columbus and see where are the places that are really driving the negative trends around heart disease, what you see in Columbus is this interesting pattern where to the northwest of the city, you really don't have high incidences, but they're scattered little pockets around the um, west, the south, and also the east. But Cleveland is a totally different geography where uh, outside of this small urban core, uh, rates are universally high. And like you said, it, it gives public health officials uh, a tool where they could uh, better target their interventions, uh, education around heart disease, and outreach to make sure that they improve those, uh, those statistics. Um, so it, it is a tool that uncovers that variation at a really detailed level. And like I said, you could even move up towards the state. So uh, we're really pleased that you could explore these different levels of variation. Talking with George Hober, he's a senior program officer for the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. How uh, are all of these statistics compiled and where, where are they obtained? Uh, they are obtained through uh, the CDC does do a survey called the Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance uh, Survey. And uh, that is collected every three years. So there's a lag on the data but that's typical with all governmental sources, and that's the source of these data, and it's going to be updated regularly. It's going to be interesting in a few years from now to see what the pandemic does to skew these numbers, because obviously a lot of people are suffering from depression, mental health issues perhaps, and of course we've had just a higher mortality rate in general because of the pandemic. Yes, that will be interesting, and uh, I should be clear in saying that places doesn't provide specific measures on COVID outcomes, such as confirmed cases or testing. Uh, but it does look at things, if you wanted to look at COVID right now and think about how, how, how can we tackle this challenge, uh, places does provide interesting information on underlying conditions, such as cardiovascular disease and obesity. These are the things that we know complicates COVID. So again, with that ability to drill down and really find you know, what are your really vulnerable areas when it comes to cardiovascular disease or obesity, you're, you're able to do that. And that could help public health leaders and community leaders communicate the need for safety and following guidelines to really specific areas. So you could use this to, to think about the underlying conditions and vulnerability now for COVID. And like you said, you could look at measures in the future, like those mental health ones uh, to see, hey, was there uh, an overlap with COVID data that uh, you could make an association. And, you know, bringing in other data, you could even uh, look at things like social issues that we know complicates COVID, uh, such as poor quality housing or income. If you have those data available locally, you could merge them with some of these health data and that are available through places, and you could get a really good idea of where vulnerability and risk concentrates at a really fine local level. 
It's fascinating stuff. A really easy map to navigate as well. Uh, George, if folks want to check this out online, how do they find it? Sure. You can go to, uh, we encourage you to check it out online. It's that place. It's uh, cdc.gov. If you go to the website, it's cdc.gov backslash places. Um, please explore it. It's a very interesting tool. And if you want information on some of the actions that you could take uh, in response to the trends you see in data, you could also go to rwjf.org backslash data um, and access some of that information. Okay, George Hober again. He's the Senior Program Officer for the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Thanks so much for the information. Thanks for having me. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and February is National Heart Health Month. And joining me on the phone is Dr. Eric Golder, who is a cardiologist and the founder of the Heart Attack Stroke Prevention Center in Worthington, along with Dr. Barbara McClatchy with Complete Health Dentistry in Columbus. How are you? We're good, thank you. Good, good morning. Thanks for talking to us. Dr. Golder, let's start with you talking about heart health and oral health. I guess there's a connection, which is why we're talking to the two of you. Yeah, sure. So there's um, a really strong connection between what goes on in your mouth and what goes on in the rest of your body. And for me, particularly, it's the heart. Uh, but, if, but what goes on in your mouth can affect all, a lot of other parts of your body as well. And Dr. McClatchy can allude to that. Uh, but uh, if you have, if people have periodontal disease, that's a, a gum disease, they're four times more likely to have a heart attack and twice as likely to have a stroke. Wow. And Dr. McClatchy, what level of gum disease are we talking about? What are the symptoms and what does it look like? Well, 85% of the population, the adult population in the U.S. has some form of periodontal disease. And they're anywhere from gingivitis, which is swelling of the gums, to bleeding, to pocket, to bone loss. So there's a big array of uh, disease that's actually driven by bacteria. And it's really that bacteria that enters our bloodstream and causes the inflammation and stimulates other chronic inflammatory diseases. And Dr. Golder, we've been hearing for a few years now about how more and more focus has been put on inflammation as it pertains to heart disease, right? When this bacteria gets into your blood, then what is it doing? So we know that there are of the perhaps 700 different bacteria that could possibly live in your mouth. There's five in particular that we know of that actually play a significant role in driving the whole arterial disease process. They can uh, weaken 
in the, uh, the lining of the blood vessel. They uh, open up holes in the lining of the blood vessel, allowing things like cholesterol and toxins and other bacteria to get in and uh, cause the, uh, the plaque, the, uh, the arterial disease itself. And Dr. McClatchy, then, I guess uh, seeing a dentist is obviously in the forefront in terms of trying to keep this under control. Absolutely. We really need, the medical providers and dental providers really need to start collaborating more so that we can be better advocates for our patients. You know, the standard of care delivery system now is everybody stays in their lane and doesn't communicate with each other. And, you know, in fact, I had a patient in that uh, had some severe periodontal disease and had two hip replacements that have failed. And uh, we actually know this person. And uh, between the daughter and myself, we got him in to find that he had advanced periodontal disease. And the orthopedic surgeon didn't even look outside of the box, unfortunately, as to what might be driving this failure. And we do know, know that through bleeding gums that that bacteria enters the body and travels throughout the system. On this particular person, I'm almost 100% convinced that um, it affected his uh, hip. But we've interestingly been doing some blood work and, and getting uh, objective testing of you know, the inflammation in our patients and then doing the periodontal therapy and then drawing blood again and watching uh, the numbers, the objective test of blood work actually change after having uh, periodontal therapy. So we really do understand that the uh, mouth and the body are directly related. And Dr. Golder, there's also good bacteria that can play a role as well, right? Certainly. So uh, one of the things that, uh, so when people come in to see me for an initial evaluation, they all get a dental evaluation. They get periodontal charting and they get um, a cone beam looking for a 3D cone beam. It's like a CAT scan of the head looking for evidence of uh, endodontal, endodontic um, uh, abscesses, root canal abscesses. Uh, and uh, we know that uh, after, they, after they get a good cleaning, uh, that we need to repopulate the mouth with good bacteria. Uh, and the product that we use is something called Probiora Plus. It's got three specific bacteria there, one of which uh, crowds out the bacteria that causes root decay. The other two actually get down into the, uh, the pockets and into the gum tissue and um, uh, produce, help produce hydrogen peroxide, which kills the bacteria that are deep down in the, uh, in the pockets. Those are called anaerobic bacteria. They live without oxygen. And uh, these, these bacteria help kill those guys out so that you get good bacteria uh, growing in your mouth, just like when we use uh, probiotics, oral probiotics, I'm sorry, uh, gut probiotics uh, for people who say have been on a, an antibiotic and you want to repopulate the good, ba the good bacteria in your GI tract. Talking with uh, Dr. Eric Goulder, he's a cardiologist and founder of the Heart Attack Stroke Prevention Center in Worthington, and Dr. Barbara McClatchy, Complete Health Dentistry of Columbus. Dr. McClatchy, you know, some people, they didn't go to the dentist as a kid, then they were afraid to go when they got older, and then just too embarrassed to go, so it may be decades. What do you have to say to people like that? is going to lower their immunity to face all types of challenges, um, and especially with COVID on the forefront, uh, we really want our patients to be as healthy as possible um, to fight off whatever is going to be challenged them. you got to find the right dentist that you're comfortable with. We certainly um, try to 
decisions. We're not threatening. I feel that education is power. And once our patients really understand the consequence of not going to the dentist or not having treatment, um, for some reason, um, you know, we have some real good luck on um, taking that uh, angst away and uh, letting them have the power. I mean, we are the guide, and we're looking for our patients to be the hero to make some good decisions for their own personal health. We use intraoral cameras and, and, and really talk through what we see so the patients can own it. Um, we do, you know, saliva testing here. So um, if we are concerned about other diseases that they're experiencing by just looking at their health history and knowing the medication they're on, um, we can do saliva testing and find out, you know, how much at risk they really are. And if they want to be proactive with their health, they tend to be engaged. But we always acknowledge our patients wherever they are, whenever they come in, um, and just look forward. Dr. Golder, we're coming up on a year now where lives have been completely turned upside down and people have gotten out of their regular habits, maybe their exercise habits or whatever, and they're eating differently, perhaps worse. Are you concerned about what the outcome of this pandemic is going to have on just overall health with people? Yeah, certainly. I mean, it, it, the, the probably the most important thing for um, keeping arterial disease under control is a healthy lifestyle, and that is exercising regularly, and it doesn't have to be running marathons. You, know, you really only need just like 25 minutes of um, some vigorous walking a day. Uh, you need to be eating whole foods, uh, you know, fresh fruit, fresh foods, fresh fruits and vegetables, uh, and uh, getting uh, the proper amount of sleep, getting, you know, that sweet spot is six to eight hours a night. And uh, that's the kind of lifestyle that's going to uh, promote arterial health. Uh, it's been proven in uh, many large studies uh, dealing with hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and, yeah, we've all gotten away from that. And, you know, I see a lot of people who've gained weight during this, uh, during this crisis. They're not eating as well as they should. And uh, it's going to have a, you know, take a toll on them. We hear a lot about how uh, heart attacks often happen without much warning. Typically, you hear of people in their 50s or 60s, maybe, who seem to be maybe otherwise healthy, and, and all of a sudden they have a heart attack seemingly out of the blue. Is there anything that's going on that even of the most subtle symptoms years ahead of time that they might pick up on? Is there anything at all that might be happening? So here's the problem, Dave. The, the, typically, when people have a heart attack, the flow through that artery is normal one minute and the next minute it's not. What happens is the, the plaque, that, uh, that cholesterol buildup in the artery, uh, wall, and that's not what's causing the problem. The problem is when that plaque cracks and your body tries to repair it with a blood clot, and the blood clot's what uh, obstructs the artery. Most of the time, the blockage that causes the heart attack is fairly mild. Uh, 68% of the time, it's a less than a 50 less than a 50% blockage, and and 86% uh, uh, of the time, it's less than a 70% blockage. And 70% that's the that's the, the cut off where we can start to see the stress test become abnormal. So most of the time, 86% of the time, the block that causes a heart attack is so mild that it's not causing any symptoms. What we do here uh, is we try and be proactive about that and look to see if people have arterial disease because it's that, it's that mild smoldering disease that's in your arteries that you don't feel, nobody feels until they have an event uh, that, that is what we can stop 
progress of, we can slow it down, we can actually reverse the, prog the, the development of the disease in the arteries if we know it's there. So we always take a look, and it's a simple test. It's a uh, carotid scan, not the one that you get done at the hospital, not the one that you get done by those mobile scanning services, but it's, a, it's an ultrasound scan, it's painless, takes 20 minutes, and we can actually measure the thickness and the size of the plaques in the arteries with that. Interesting. So when somebody does have a heart attack that starts out with just kind of a, an off feeling during the day, that's that sudden event that's beginning to happen that day when it wasn't there the day before. Right. And so, you know, and it depends upon who it is who's having that, because obviously, as we all know, women have uh, typically have very different uh, symptoms from when they're having a heart attack than men. They frequently, they're just having some shortness of breath or feeling fatigued and tend to, tend to pass it off. Uh, and men uh, can have that same process, but more typically they'll get the tightness and squeezing in their chest or in their arm or jaw, um, and it'll be alert them to the fact that something's out of whack. But it's not uncommon for people to linger at home having milder symptoms before they uh, finally decide to come into the hospital. By then it's often too late and a lot of damage has been done. Dr. McClatchy, we hear a lot these days with the pandemic about mask breath. What is that? I mean, I think when you're wearing a mask so often, you start breathing your own breath. And, you know, we all have um, coffee breath or maybe garlic from a lunch or a dinner. But um, what I want the public to be aware of is if you f are constantly feeling like you need to be chewing gum or, or putting a mint in your mouth because you're smelling odor from your own breath, that is a red flag that you may be having some uh, start of periodontal disease. And I really uh, encourage you to find the root cause of that odor and not just uh, try to cover it up. There are really, um, you know, th this um, product that we really like to use that will give that mint-like taste in their mouth but actually change the, uh, the bacteria in your mouth is, is very helpful that people can do. Um, so don't try to just cover up the uh, odor. Uh, there are some products out on the market, such as ProBiore Plus, um, Perio Protect Gel, that um, the public can actually purchase and actually change the uh, bacteria in the mouth until you can get to your dental professional and really see what's causing that bad odor. Talking with Dr. Eric Golder, cardiologist and founder of the Heart Attack Stroke Prevention Center in Worthington, and Dr. Barbara McClatchy, Complete Health Dentistry of Columbus. I'll ask each of you individually if there's anything else that you'd like to add. Dr. McClatchy? I just uh, want to encourage patients to visit their dental professionals. We find that uh, patients see their dentists more frequently than they see their physician, and our eyes are trained to see uh, symptoms in the mouth that could be contributing to their cardiovascular risk. So don't be scared. Like I said, knowledge is power. So I just want to uh, say that I think it's really important to be proactive about arterial disease. It's the leading cause of death in our country. Uh, somebody dies from a heart attack every minute in this country. And if you're proactive, you go to look to see if you have arterial disease, it can totally change your doctor's uh, assessment of your risk for having a heart attack or a stroke. Okay, timely and important information. Thanks so much to both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dave. 
This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.